0: Let's all stand for the reading of Scripture. Tonight's scripture is taken from Nahum chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. The shields of the soldiers are red, the warriors are clad in scarlet, the metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of Juniper are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves and beat on their breasts. This is God's word. Please be seated. Randy Thompson, freshly back uh, from, from Europe, standing out in the family room, and uh, he said he really enjoyed the study of Micah this morning, and I thought I heard him say, I'm looking forward to mayhem tonight. And uh, I, I thought how fitting, um, last night, uh, I'm sitting and uh, eating, when a front tooth completely broke and shot across the room. And uh, I kind of like that look. It made me look kind of tough, like Jack Lambert with the Pittsburgh Steelers, circa 1976 or so. But Mrs. Absher, she was not too keen on that look and said, if I ever wanted to be kissed again, maybe I should get that tooth fixed. And so about 8 o'clock last night, I'm over at Warren Branch's uh, uh, office getting a, a tooth fixed. And, and Warren just did A++ work, I, I, I can't tell any difference, and I'm able to pronounce all of my F's now, which I wasn't able to do last night. And then this afternoon, a uh, computer program completely shut down, cannot print anything, and I'm, I'm going, I think I know this sermon by heart, but I'm not really sure. And luckily, though, we were able, through Barry's help, to kind of get the program shut down and a force quit and then back open and fortunately everything was there. And so uh, with all of this mayhem over the last 48 hours, I'm looking for that guy in that Allstate commercial with the suit walking around our building and seeing if he's sort of infecting uh, us a little bit. But uh, I think what we need to do before we jump into Nahum rather than the mayhem is to pray. What do you think? (laughs) Father, we're so grateful that you are a God whose character shines through in everything that we experience. You are faithful to us. You are gracious to us. And You are powerful. And You are majestic and high and holy and lofty. And Father, we aspire to walk in Your light. We want Your Word, Father, to resound in our hearts as Jeff has just led us. We want the the strength of, of, of faith to be increased in us at all times, Father, so that we bring you glory and honor. And as we study Nahum tonight, Father, we're asking that you give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it in such a way that we trust you and we are people of faith, and we are people of faith even in the tight places, even in the thin places of safety. Take care of us, Father, as we strive to walk in the steps of Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A famous, uh, no longer a but a famous uh, theologian and commentary writer on the Old Testament from a a big university in, in Virginia has written this in her commentary on Nahum. She writes, "...all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." That from Second Timothy chapter three verses sixteen to seventeen. She continues, "We give lip service to such an acknowledgment of the authority of Scripture, but in actual effect, in actual fact, we exempt the book of Nahum from it. Indeed, we often wish Nahum were not in the canon, and the book had almost been totally ignored in the modern church. No lectionary reading is taken from it. No hymn suggests its words, even other than." the one line from William Cooper's poem said to the music, and God moves in a mysterious way. That line is, He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. That's referenced in chapter 1, verse 3. Nahum is, in its historical setting, a prediction and celebration of the fall of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, in 612 B.C. Some interpreters have therefore scorned the book of Nahum because it seems to be a vengeful, nationalistic expression of Israel's triumph over an enemy. Nahum is not primarily a book about human beings. It is not about human vengeance and hatred and military conquest, but a book about God. End of quote. Now, I agree with that. In terms of the historical context when it was written, and, 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 and some of the historical background. We do not know with precision when Nahum wrote this book or did his ministry, but it was before the destruction of Assyria in 612 B.C. There is uh, the mention of a city in chapter 3, verse 8, the city of No-Aman, uh, which is Thebes in Egypt, which was destroyed by Assyria in 663 BC. So we're, we're kind of looking at right now a period of time between 663 BC and 612 BC. Now during this period of time, the kings of Judah were going to be Manasseh, who was not a good king, He was an evil king, Second Kings chapter 21, first 18 verses. Uh, the next king is Ammon, who is not a good king at all. Second Kings chapter 21, verses 19 through 26. And so you have Manasseh, you have Ammon. Who comes after Ammon? Josiah, who is a good king, chapters 22 and 23. He is a very good king, bringing reform and and heightening faithfulness in Judah during this period of time. Now, in Nahum's book, three chapters, it's very short. In Nahum's book, there is no condemnation of Judah, so it's difficult to think of the ministry of Nahum being performed during the time of the wicked kings. In other words, if it was being written during the time of Manasseh, you would think that Nahum had something to say about all of the the, the Asherim poles and the the, the Baals and all of the idolatry and the oppression. Same thing's true during the time of Ammon because none of that is being written about or talked about by Nahum. Most of the scholars think that it was probably written during the time of Josiah. And that would be probably around the time of 632 B.C. when Josiah is beginning to, to seek... The Lord, and to seek God, and to bring those spiritual uh, reforms, and 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 to bring revival, spiritual revival, back to Judah. And so Nahum's encouraging message about the demise of Assyria probably came during the time of Josiah, and perhaps even during that period of time when Josiah is thinking about seeking the Lord, when Assyria is still a threat. Look at uh, Nahum chapter one verses twelve and thirteen. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength, and likewise many, I mean the army is huge, Assyria is just gigantic, even so they will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. So now I will break his yoke bar from upon you and I will tear off your shackles. Now it sounds like that even though it's during the time I think of Josiah and at a time when Assyria is is at full strength, It sounds like that time that's just prior to the death of King Ashurbanipal, which was about 627 B.C. or so. And so what Nahum seems to be doing is encouraging Josiah, the king of Judah, to continue the Reformation, to bring that spiritual revival at a time, to continue to seek after him, to keep keep being a king of faithfulness. And to, and to model that for all of the Jewish people, to do that at a time while Assyria is still a threat, and the encouraging message is this, Assyria is not going to stop this revival. And so, although it's a short book, we're going to divide it in about, three se- uh, excuse me, in about two sections. The first section is going to be God's wrath and God's goodness, how those two are contrasted, and then the fall of Assyria. Now, in terms of the book of Nahum, God's wrath and God's goodness are contrasted with one another. in about uh, chapter one through about chapter two, verse two, the first eight verses of Nahum are set up like a poem. And when you when you read it in the original language, it's an acrostic, which means that what the first that a letter of the Hebrew alphabet instead of a number, a letter is used to kind of set it off. It's acrostic that way. And it's a poem about the greatness of God and the greatness of God's power. And the theme, if you were to give this sort of a subtitle, it would be the, the powerful Avenger and Savior of God's people. And the song is built to shape the understanding of God's character and power. Which is incredibly important if you're going to trust God's promises, right? His character and His power. Look at verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is His way, and clouds are the dust beneath His feet. The worldview of Assyria at this time, while they are at the zenith, they are at full power as we've already seen in, in Nahum's book. They are at full power and they are many. The, the, the army is gargantuan. Their worldview is like that of, that you would expect of any, any superpower. It is to maintain that power, and to main, maintain that stranglehold on all of the other nations as well as to keep growing and growing and growing. When you're a superpower, there is no going backward. And so they plan to maintain their power and influence in the world by oppression and by military might and by going in. And you know, as, the, as history has revealed the practices and the technique and the strategies of Assyria, they were cruel and brutal people. I remember a time when when Mike Tyson was sort of at the zenith of his power, his popularity, and the greatness of, of 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 his boxing prowess, and you know Iron Mike was one of those guys that would try to intimidate opponents at the weigh-in and try to to intimidate them at at the news and uh, news conferences, at the press conferences, and all these kinds of things, so that by the time with that big chest and that no neck and those shoulders and those arms and that crew cut and that glare, when he got into the ring, because of that might and that record, he if you know he was already trying to to, to defeat their mind before he even got into that ring. And by the time he got into that ring, most of the time the fight was already won because the opponent was completely intimidated by them. That. that was his strategy in the way that he fought until he came up against somebody that was completely unintimidated by him and just as powerful as not more powerful. That's what Assyria has been doing. They have been so brutal in the way that they have carried off captives and the way that they have conducted themselves and and the way that they have treated even the most defenseless and weak of civilians in the nations that they have conquered, that the fear of them had caused the defeat of many armies before they even came face to face in a clash. And they are plan, planning to maintain their power, influence in the world this way. Now you remember from Isaiah, they have already, Isaiah has already condemned the blasphemous pride of Assyria. In chapter 10, in chapter 36 and chapter 37, he goes to town in condemning the blasphemous arrogance and pride of Assyria. And the fact that they're going to mow down everybody and nobody can stand up next to them. But, they continue to ignore the presence and the plans of God. And so in Nahum chapter 1, verse 11, from you has gone forth one who has plotted evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Verse 9, we back up two verses. Whatever you devise against the Lord, He will make a complete what? End of it. The main purpose of this sermon that Nahum is preaching is to encourage Josiah and everyone who is with Josiah to continue to seek God's will even though the threat of Assyria is still out there. Now Nahum's not condemning Judah because Josiah already knew that Judah was sinful and needed spiritual reformation and needed revival and needed to return to Yahweh. And Josiah, what Josiah is needing is the assurance and the encouragement that God's judgment is going to fall on Assyria so that he can continue his reform, which is going to be not be intimidated by Assyria, not be in subjugation to Assyria, but to follow God and to be faithful to God and to trust in God and to be God's people. Now, Scripture attests to the fact that nothing can stand in front of God's power. That's part of this song or this, this poem that Nahum is giving. Look at verses 4 and 6 of Nahum chapter 1. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. Can Assyria do that? Only God can. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of Him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by His presence. The world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by Him. The point is, God is God and nothing less. People are people and nothing more. And that's one of the messages that Nahum is trying to get to Josiah. Do not fear Assyria. Don't allow Assyria to intimidate you into not following through with all of the spiritual reformation that your heart is is pushing you towards. God's character, His power and His might will see you through. Trust Him. Which brings us then to the part of of Nahum's prophecy which is about the fall of Assyria. Now to emphasize the certainty of the message, Nahum describes in chapter 2, verse 3 through verse 13... How the battle for Nineveh would, would be lost. How Nineveh is not going to win. How, how Nineveh, the Assyrians and their capital city of Nineveh, are going to be destroyed. And what he begins to talk about is, you know this great army that, that you're so fearful of and everybody in the world trembles before? The chariots of that army are going to race madly around the streets. The rivers are going to flood around the city. The walls are going to fall. There are going to be foreigners that are going to plunder the great city. That's verses 6 through 10 of that same chapter. And people are going to mock the former lion that was Assyria. Everybody considered Assyria to be the, the, grand, the grand lion, the great lion in the world at that time. And it would no longer prey as a lion on the other nations. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. Where is the den of lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where's the lion, the lioness, and the lion's cup prowl with nothing to disturb them? Basically, what, uh, what Nahum is saying is that that the lion is going to have its teeth pulled. The, the, the growl that scared all of the prey and alerted the prey that the lion was near, that the lion was going to strike, and that the lion was going to devour them and, and consume them, that's going to be silenced into a whisper. And then in chapter 3, Nahum gives the reason for the fall of Assyria. He says, beginning in verse 1, Woe to the bloody city. City completely full of lies and pillage. For prey never departs, the noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and abounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of uh, corpses and countless dead bodies. They stumbled over the dead bodies. All because of the many harlotries of the harlot the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her harlotries and families by her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will lift up your skirts over your face and show the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. I will throw filth on you and make you vile and set you up as a spectacle. And it will come about that all who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh is devastated. Who will grieve for her? Where will I seek comforters for you? If there is one lesson out of Nahum that we take away tonight is that God has given us a tremendous number of blessings. I mean, you go through the New Testament church and it's blessing after blessing, promise after promise. It's a call after call. It's, it's a challenge after challenge to always stand with God, to always believe God, to always fall on the side of Yahweh, to fall on the side of the Creator. And if there's one lesson that comes in, in, out of Nahum, is that faith in all of God's promises, faith in all of God's blessings, are strengthened by the knowledge of His character. There, there are things that you know about people that causes you to trust them. You think about your spouse. Somebody says something about your spouse. Somebody says something about your best friend or, 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 or a family member that you know and that you trust and that you have intimate knowledge of and you've known them all your life and you know their character and they say something that is not true. You know by their character not to believe that, th- those words. On the flip side of that coin... There, there are things that you know that they will always do by their character. You know that they will never lie. One of the things about my wife that, that I take to the bank every day of our marriage and have for the last 32 years is that if she, she, it's impossible for her to tell a lie. If she ever told a lie, she would just explode right there. I mean, she, she just can't support that. She cannot stand any dishonesty in her or in her life. Or in her relationship and so when she tells me something i take it to the bank even if she's not done it yet i take it to the bank even though a, a, a month from now she may take care of it i know that it's going to be done because she does not like that's her character you know people like that too that that when they say something because you know their character and you trust them and you know them and you're intimately connected to them that when they say something you know it's it's true Faith and God's promises are strengthened by the knowledge of His character. That's why we worship. That's one of the, the, the gigantic reasons why the people of God have always been called to worship. Sure, it's, it's a way that we are drawn together in singing the hymns that cause community and fellowship. And sure, there, there are, are, are encouragements that come to people that are struggling in their faith. But what is it that we do in worship? Is it not to attribute worth to God? To to, to talk about His worthiness. To talk about His greatness. And primarily we do that by reminding ourselves and lifting up with our voices and with our hearts the great attributes and the character and, and the promises of God that have always come true for God's people. That's what we do when we worship and we sing and we come together. We're reminding ourselves of the greatness of God's character. That because of the cross, He loves us. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, He resurrects us in the end, those of us by faith. Because of of His promises of strength and a clean conscience, and you know them as well as I do, because of His character that we have sung over and over and over again in songs and the Scriptures that we have looked at over and over and over again, we know that those things are true in our life and they strengthen our faith. And we know that God's character guides His behavior. Sometimes what we rely on from God's Word comes to us in a a valley or in a dark tunnel or in a place where things are not very clear very far down the road. And because we know His character and He has proven His character to us, we are able to go through in faith on those promises to to, to continue living as a disciple. And that is especially important when it looks like all of life is a contradiction. Josiah is, is trying to turn Israel, Judah around. But Assyria is still that power out there and will be for another year or two as he's trying to get the spiritual reformation going and trying to return the people's hearts to God. Not to have hearts full of fear towards Assyria and Ashurbanipal and all of those tyrants. But to believe God. And to follow God. And to trust God. Even when all of life seems like a contradiction. And that's what we're called to as, as, as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. To seek His kingdom first. Not the things that we eat and not the things that we drink or the clothes that we wear or the places where we're going to live. But to seek first His kingdom in trust. To seek His kingdom first as the preeminent thing, as the priority in life because He has promised to take care of all of those other things. God knowing that we need them even before we ask. Of 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 taking care of our most desperate needs. The need for salvation. The need for His Spirit to transform our lives. The need for His presence to give us strength in every situation. Because those needs have been taken. To be able to make in every point of the day a decision for loyalty and faithfulness to God and His Word. That's what He calls us to do. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe there's a way that we can minister to you. Maybe you need to be baptized because you're still in your sin. And you have not allowed the power of God in the cross... The forgiveness, the grace, the graciousness, the the generosity of mercy to come your way for those sins to be forgiven because you're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in that baptism. As He died to sin, you died to sin. As He was raised to newness of life, you are raised to newness of life as well. Or maybe it's been you're struggling in your faith and you need the encouragement of the church. Whatever it might be, our spiritual leaders, our elders, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front to talk to you. If there's any need, come to the front and talk to them as we stand and praise God together.